Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and all of God's creatures. I'm Rev. Dr. Rachel Wren, Assistant Professor of Biblical Studies at Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University. And I'm Tim McNinch, Assistant Professor of Hebrew Bible at Christian Theological Seminary in Indianapolis. <laughs> Our co-hosts, Rosie and Paul, are taking well-deserved breaks today. And uh, today we are covering the Revised Common Lectionary text for Sunday, October 1st. Welcome to October mm. 2023. Rachel, you're up to host this one, so uh, there's some options. Where are you going to take us this yeah. week? Yeah, lots of options. First of all, since we're in October, I feel like everybody should pause and go out and get a pumpkin spice something. You know, you can get pretty much anything flavored pumpkin spice right now. So The best one is the uh, pumpkin flavored pumpkin. Oh, <laughs> I can't tell if you're making a joke or not. Did someone actually put out a pumpkin spice flavored pumpkin? No, but they should. I mean, that's sort of the, the OG, right? <laughs> that's, the fi- that's the final horizon right there. Uh, no. So uh, yeah, just a plethora of great texts today. Um, so we just covered a lively episode on Exodus 16, um, which is similar to Exodus 17 in that it's a story of thirst and hunger in the wilderness. Um, a lot of what we covered there, I would have maybe said or thought about saying today. So I would <laughs> commend that episode to preachers. If you're interested in Exodus 17 and you didn't preach on Exodus 16 last week, then maybe just head on over and check out that episode. It's a it's a party episode with all four of us, so there is a ton of great stuff in there. Um, we also have a fantastic past episode with the inimitable Dr. Valerie Bridgman, on Exodus 17. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can, I'd highly recommend that one for tips on how to preach this text. It's one of those interviews that we've done that like stuck in my brain and I can still hear her saying, but the people are thirsty. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. One of my all time favorites. That Mine was a good too. one. That was a great one. The Psalm attached to the alternate first reading is Psalm 25. One of my favorites, but I think I've talked a lot about Nefesh here on this podcast, <laughs> so we probably don't need to rehash that one again. But if you're interested, dear listener, you can search for Psalm 25 on our website, and uh, you can also buy a t-shirt that says Nefesh on it if you want to. <laughs> our other first reading assigned for today, or the main first reading, depending on your tradition, revolves around fairness and unfairness. In it, we hear this familiar idiom, eating sour grapes. Hmm. So so the way that we use that, I actually had to do a little bit of research on this one because I was like, cool, that's the origin of the idiom. Mm -hmm. Well, not really though, because the way we use that phrase actually comes to us not from the Bible, but from one of Aesop's fables. Uh, Aesop was an ancient Greek author, and he wrote a story about a fox who struggles to reach some tasty-looking grapes that are just out of his reach. He can't attain them, and so he disparages the grapes that he cannot reach, calling them sour, not because he knows it, simply because he doesn't have the ability to get them. So hmm. sour grapes actually says more about like when you're refusing to admit that there's something wrong in you. So there must be something wrong in the thing you were trying to attain. Oh, uh, yeah, can't get. yeah. So that's, that's how I usually use it. Yeah. This passage in Ezekiel isn't talking about disparaging something unfairly. Instead, it's really talking about generational baggage. And that's the theme I actually want to pick up on for today. It's a theme you can get at in two different texts if you wanted to. Ezekiel 18 and 78 both reach on that text of generational baggage. 
I, I hadn't really thought about the different ways of thinking about sour grapes. And now that you mention it, the way this comes across in the Ezekiel text is quite different from that Aesop version. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So the, the parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Now, this sounds kind of bizarre, and and it is a hard passage to understand, in part because Ezekiel is so much later than a lot of the rest of the Bible, or at least self-identifies as so much later than something like Deuteronomy, which self-identifies so much earlier. Mm-hmm. But it pulls on lots of these different threads from other places in the Bible. And so to to really kind of get a handle on this story, we have to do, quoting Paul Harvey in my best Paul Harvey voice, the rest of the story. (laughs) So the way we have this Ezekiel text is we've got four verses from the first part of the passage, and then we've got a chunk of verses from the last part of the passage. Hmm. Read in context with the last part of the passage, it's a lot of judgment against Israel, especially judgment against an Israel that says, God, you're being unfair, and God kind of returning back the, the compliment and saying, really? Am I the one being unfair? Shall we talk about the history of sins that you've got in in there? That can easily overwhelm those first four verses. But what those first four verses actually show us is that, yeah, this is a passage of judgment for sure in Ezekiel, but this is also a passage where God is actually doubling down on compassion and forgiveness, which doesn't come through super easily Hmm. if you don't know the backstory. This text is drawing in part from some of the really famous Pentateuchal texts. I think next week you're you're going to be covering um, Exodus 20, right, mm-hmm. with the Ten Commandments? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so this text is actually thinking about those commandments in a particular way, especially commandment number one or two, depending on how you count them. Right, but this right. is the yeah, right? Yeah. This is the commandment about not worshiping any other deity but God. Included in this commandment is a description of what that worship looks like. So it says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the, for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Mm, so there we already have the that sort of generational thing built yeah. into the, the, the commandment. Yeah, exactly. So the generational thing is built in and not just that, but compassion. Mm-hmm. It, it's really easy for us, though, I think, to miss that compassion because we as moderns are like, geez, God, seriously, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. That's, our, I think, our first preaching pitfall. Mm. In the United States especially, we have a very individualistic view of sin and punishment. If you did the crime, you deserve the punishment and no one else. Mm-hmm. So first of all, a communal society is actually, which is, you know, the Hebrew Bible, um, is actually probably a lot closer to the way humanity really works. Um mm. There's consequences for sin, and innocent bystanders who are close to us often get included in that guilt and that shame as well. So describing the consequences of sin as extending into the next generation is in part just a natural quality of humanity. But that's not what this text is trying to highlight. This text is juxtaposing the number three and four with the number a thousand. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do a little exercise to picture that. Dear listeners, I want you to hold out your hands. Tim, you can hold out your hands too. 
There, no one, no, you want like this, like you're going to okay, gotcha, There you gotcha. go. Good job. Okay. So I'm going to place three or four Skittles in your left hand. There you go. Oh, if only we could do this for the internet. <laughs> and in your right, I'm going to place a thousand Skittles. Oh. No, don't drop any. Don't drop any. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the point obviously is the overwhelming desire of God to be abundantly merciful and only briefly punitive. Yeah. What a contrast. Right. It is. It's definitely a contrast. But I think even the ancient people had some trouble with that to the third or fourth generation piece, because already in Deuteronomy 7 verses 7 through 9, we see a move away from that punishing the children for the sins of the parents. This is just one of my favorite texts of all time, Gen- <laughs> Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9. It was not because you were more numerous than any other people that the Lord set his heart on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your ancestors, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who maintains covenant loyalty with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. There's that thousand again. Mm -hmm. And who repays in their own person those who reject him. Hmm. One. So here we've moved from thousand verses three and four to thousand verses one. I sort of see a conversation starting to open up here, right? Like there's yeah. a couple different perspectives that are in conversation with each other. The one that carries through sort of the, the I don't know if you maybe call it descriptive or sort mm. of observation of how sin impacts mm. whole communities mm-hmm. in multiple generations mm-hmm. of communities. And then this passage that you, that you just read to us from Deuteronomy 7, talking about how the divine consequences for sin Mm. are upon the individual. I think so. I think so. And I think another preaching pitfall that I would be concerned about here is, um, preachers, this is not a text that is trying to describe the punishment for those who reject God. This isn't like saying, I will love you to a thousand generation, but if you reject me, then I'm going to get you, mm. <laughs> right? Like that would be taking this text to a place that I don't think it's actually intending to go. Again, it's the contrast that's being lo- lifted up here. Mm-hmm. Note the descriptive language that God will repay the rejector in their own person, not mm. in their children, not in their family, not in their next of kin. This is a text about, again, the limits of God's punitive behavior and the expansiveness of God's mercy and compassion. Yeah, that's an interesting way to frame it because there is a kind of like um, drawing in of boundaries around punishment or violence that would come from God. But then this blowing out of the walls Mm -hmm. on on the compassion and and, uh, grace of God. Yeah. And then, and then in this Ezekiel text, it puts the conversation particularly within the framework of a specific relationship, that of parent and children. Hmm. So the reigning wisdom is the parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, the parents do something wrong and the kids pay for it, at least in terms of God. Now, that may be true in natural society, like we just talked about, the consequences of humans of sin, of sin in human society and how guilt and shame get uploaded upon everybody nearby. Mm-hmm. But Ezekiel is rejecting that understanding in terms of God. 
Ezekiel instead bumps us down to that verse 32, which says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord God. Turn then and live. In Ezekiel, we almost even get an expansiveness of compassion or the hope, the divine hope of compassion, even upon those who have have, um, enacted the sin themselves. Mm -hmm. That really hits me, especially when I think about Ezekiel's own um, probable historical context, right? Because he's a a prophet who's writing to uh, and among exiles, right? Mm -hmm. Babylonian exiles. Mm -hmm. So here's a whole generation of Judahites who... In their shoes, I could imagine them feeling we're suffering because of what our ancestors did. Yeah. And it's not fair. Mm-hmm. The prophet here is holding out hope that God's compassion can spill out on all of us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and all of y'all. Yeah. <laughs> right? And and probably on their children too. Because mm-hmm. I, I would think for the Babylonian exiles, one of the things that would be a really heartfelt fear would be so what's gonna happen to our kids? Absolutely. Well, any other thoughts on this, Rachel? Any other uh, uh, angles on how you might preach this? No, I think like most things, you know, some of these texts are really challenging, but there are so many riches in there. So in your sermon, you know, you can you can mention or address or frame the challenging pieces, but then really focus on these gold nugget moments. I, I think my biggest pitfall would be don't reject this Ezekiel text as a text for preaching simply because it's got hard stuff in it. You can you can focus in on the stuff that brings life while also putting it in its proper context of its time. So I mm-hmm. think that's all I'd have to say. Yeah, yeah. And that's really helpful. And I would just add to that that I really appreciated what you did in pulling um, other voices into the dialogue, mm-hmm. other voices from Scripture into the dialogue, not to not to make them all saying, say the same thing, mm-hmm. but to show that Ezekiel's participating in a conversation mm-hmm. that's been ongoing. And then we can kind of hear what's special and unique about his particular voice. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, maybe that's a good spot to wrap up for this week. Thanks, Rachel, for all the prep that you put into this. It was really helpful. My pleasure. First Reading is produced by Rachel and me, along with our fantastic colleagues, Rosie Candethel and Paul Essad. You can learn more about the pod and find back episodes at our website, firstreadingpodcast.com. You know, if you've been finding these conversations helpful, would you consider donating to support our work? You can find links to give one-off gifts or even set up regular contributions over on the website. You can also find us on Facebook or Spotify or, you know, wherever, like maybe your local pastor's gathering. Until next time, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Happy preaching. Happy preaching.